This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by Black Belt CBD. If you're into CBD products or you want to try CBD products for the very first time, please visit blackbeltcbdproducts.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST25. You'll get 25% off. You do not ingest this. You do not smoke this. This is pure, strictly roll-ons and rub-ons and lotions. Works great for athletes, but for your everyday blue-collar worker who has aches and pains, works for you as well. You will not get high. Less than 1% THC, so you don't have to worry about that. So please visit blackbeltcbdproducts.com. If you're into nerd culture or you like collectibles or signed memorabilia or you're a sports fanatic, please visit firstrow.ca. This is a Canadian company. So to all you American listeners, everything you see there is in Canadian funds, so it's a little bit cheaper for you. They update daily, so there's no excuse not to visit them every day. And if you use promo code THEPODCAST20, you'll get 20% off. Like I mentioned, they got literally everything from signed sports memorabilia, comic books, wrestling figures, anything a nerd needs or wants, it's literally there. And speaking of nerd culture... If you're into video games or if you're into books, please visit BossFightBooks.com today for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Resident Evil, Postal, and, of course, Shovel Knight. And obviously, please do the most important thing that you could do for me, the easiest thing you could do for me, the thing that takes you two seconds free of charge. Please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So, this week's guest has written a handful of books and short stories. The author of the aforementioned Boss Fight Books Shovel Knight, David L. Craddock. Boss Fight Books is one of your sponsors. I've heard of them, Steve. I've heard of them, I think. (laughs) You think? (laughs) I I think so. It it rings a bell. Yes, they're uh, now a a few weeks into sponsoring the podcast. Great relationship. I love Gabe. Obviously, as you know, he's been on the show as well, amongst other authors. So you're in good company, my friend. No, he's great. Gabe's a great guy. We've got to meet up uh, whenever I go to L.A. for E3, which obviously didn't happen this year. um, I usually get to meet up with Gabe. He's been on um, some live streams that I've hosted a couple times. So, yeah, that's really cool. I'm glad you're working with him. Boss Fight is fantastic. Of course it is. Okay, so before we get to Shovel Knight, so why and how did you become a writer, and what do you actually write about? 
So, uh, I've been programming since I was 10 years old. And of okay. course, um, I, wa- I love video games. I wanted to write video games. I dreamed of working at Blizzard Entertainment. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I can remember the moment I became a gamer, which is when I went over to my friend Kimmy's house and her mom invited me in down to the basement where Kimmy was playing. Right. Uh, I remember her mom said, Nintendo. She said it the way parents did back yes. then. They, had, they weren't familiar with the word. Of course. <laughs> um, and uh, so that, I remember that. I fell in love with video games right then. But right. I, I've always been a reader. So I've always liked okay. to to write, to read. And um, I kind of got burnt out on programming. Had some bad experiences in college with professors who actually did not know what they were doing and okay. kind of started leaning on me to, to teach the classes. And I thought, look, I'm paying you. <laughs> we're going to have to, <laughs> it is going to have to be a different transaction if I'm going to do this. Right. Um, so I started taking um, literature and writing courses kind of just for fun um, as a break from the, the programming and liberal arts courses. Mm-hmm. And uh, one semester uh, I took a young adult literature course, wrote a paper on Harry Potter, and the professor was passing back um, all the papers, the essays we'd wrote, and she said, I'm saving one person's essay for last because I want him to read it out loud. And I wasn't really paying attention at the time. I was thinking about, I don't even know what, probably <laughs> books and video games. Sure. And she she gives me mine, and she's like, please stand up and read this. And I was like, okay, well, if there's one thing that hasn't changed since way back then, it's that I don't like speaking in front of crowds. Okay. But, uh, but I got <laughs> through it. And got a round of applause, which was very unexpected, but nice. And on the way out, uh, my professor, I hear her um, shout for me, and I turn around, and she comes up. To, I'm, I'm like 6'3", so she okay. comes up to about here. Right. Uh, well, you can't see her. I'm just below my chest, I'd say. Yeah. And um, she says, David, what's your major? And I said, well, uh, computer science. I, I want to write video games. And she stood on her tiptoes, <laughs> and she had this big bundle of papers in her hand, and she's hit me on the head. <laughs> Okay. And she said, quit fooling around with computers. You're a writer. You should write. Oh. And I thought, I hadn't really considered that. I mean, I, I toyed with the idea of maybe writing for um, now many oft uh, dearly departed magazines, such as GamePro. Sure. But uh, I switched tracks. I switched out of computer science. And I just started writing. Um, I wrote all the time. I was reading all the time, writing all the time. Um and video games helped me get my foot in in the door of paid jobs as a writer. I started okay. pro bono. I wrote for a now defunct site called mygamer.com okay. and was paid really just with swag. Like if you write X amount of news stories, they'll send you this game or this controller or whatever. Um, and then I started as a freelancer for shacknews.com, which mm. allowed me to start my freelancing career. I moved out to California, wrote for... Um, Oh, Games Radar, official Xbox magazine, official PlayStation magazine. Oh, nice. um, yeah, and it was it was cool. So uh, while I was out there, I actually transitioned to the other side of the desk. I started doing some creative writing for games. Okay. And I met I met people, um, some developers who had worked at Blizzard North on Diablo and Diablo Two, which were the games that made me want to work for Blizzard way oh, back in the day. Okay. And, and so I started hanging out with one of them, an artist and designer named Eric Sexton. I would go to his place on the weekends, and we would play uh, EDF 2017 on Xbox 360. Um, and one day I said, you know, I, I noticed no one's written a book about Diablo or Blizzard. And he said, no, I'm kind of surprised too. And I said, uh, I guess I will. So I started interviewing him nice. and met uh, met um, Dave Brevik and Max and Eric Schaefer, who co-founded Blizzard North, and yeah. just kept building my Rolodex. So... Um, I published a, a nonfiction f- 
book before Stay Well and Listen Book One, which came out in 2013. But Stay Well and Listen One was really kind of my breakout book. Uh, it's a bestseller. Stay Well and Listen Two just came out uh, digitally in fall 2019. Paperback is out now. Audiobook should be out soon. And in between that, um, I've I've written and published close to two dozen books now. Wow. Um, some I've sold to publishers, others I've self-published because I have my own ideas for format and structure okay. and content and the like. And, uh, of course, one of the books I sold was um, uh, Shovel Knight, which actually has its own origin story. I'll let you ask about that if you want to, but that of uh, kind of came about in an interesting way. And um, um, even now, I'm a long-reach editor at shacknews.com where mm-hmm. I write book-sized features. In fact, uh, not even a week ago, as of the night we're talking, I published uh, Bet on Black Part 1, which is a comprehensive history of Microsoft's history in PC and console games. So going all the way back to games like Minesweeper and Solitaire through uh, Part 1 ends with the launch (laughs) of the original Xbox. Right. And yeah, just, yeah, that was a very long answer and I apologize. I love it. You know. I'm very verbose. I write fantasy and books about video <laughs> games that go over 300 pages, so I don't know how to say or write anything short. But, yeah, always writing something. I always say this to every guest who thinks they're babbling on. Don't worry. The listeners are here for you, not for me. So That's speak true. away. <laughs> okay, I will do that. I will do that. So, okay, like you said, I was gonna, we were going to go right into Shovel Knight because I'm sure that's a lot of people want to uh, listen to. Like you said, what made you get into writing Shovel Knight? What was the thought? Sure. So about, um, I want to say five and a half, six years ago, I had the idea. I wanted to publish a monthly e-zine that I was calling episodic content. Um, and my initials are DLC. So I was thinking of calling it downloadable content, but, um, a little too gimmicky. So I went with episodic content because the idea was I was going to serialize stories in every issue to keep people subscribing. Right. And the idea was I wanted to write about one triple game and one indie game per issue. So you'd have part one of, of two stories and then maybe an issue two, I'd start part one of another and then you get part two of others so that there's always an ongoing story. Makes sense. And I, I reached out to some folks at Yacht Club because Shovel Knight had only been out. Yeah, this was late 2014. So Shovel Knight okay. had been out eight or nine months. Sure. And I said, hey, uh, I'm, a, I'm a writer and a journalist. Uh, here's what I've done. I'd like to talk to you folks about the making of Shovel Knight for my easing. And uh, only one of the, the five co-founders, David D'Angelo, got back to me. Okay. So I interviewed David, and I wrote a smaller book. It was like 40, 50 pages called Gameplay Per Square Inch, which is one of the chapter titles in uh, the Shovel Knight yes, book of that course. got published. Um, and I, I, I met Gabe... Durham from Boss Fight because mm-hmm. I pitched another book that he turned down, and then okay. uh, I decided, yeah, it was a bummer. But it gets you know, good things come to those who wait, right? Of course. So I was looking at Gameplay Square Inch, and I thought, you know, I think I'm going to uh, self-publish this. So I reached out to Yacht Club to say, hey, this is my plans for this little book. Um, just wanted to let you guys know what's going on. And they got back to me right away. Sean Velasco got back to me and he said, Mm -hmm. hey, it's uh, great to meet you. I'm sorry we couldn't respond before. It turns out that most of them were working on um, the first expansion starring Plague Knight, so they were busy. And he said, you know, we kind of like to have some control over anything to do with Shovel Knight, so here's what we'd like to do. Since you only got to speak to David before, mm-hmm. why don't we make sure you can talk with all of us 
And then, if you don't mind, we'd like to help you find a publisher for this book just so we can have some agency in it. And I said, I said, sure. And do you have anyone in mind? And they said, you know, we're a huge fan of Boss Fight books. Uh, We would love for an author to to tell our story and publish it through them. And so I said, well, I happen to to, um, have interacted with Gabe Durham. I'll reach out to him. Gabe asked to read Gameplay Per Square Inch. He got back to me, I think, in a day. Mm -hmm. He said he really liked it. And then I began full interviews with the rest of the uh, Yacht Club uh, co-founders. And that was in, um, I think it was late 2016, early 2017, or maybe late 2017, early 2018. It's it's getting a little hazy now. But uh, those are really fun conversations because it was uh, obviously a much broader, more detailed view. And um, then the book came out in the fall or summer of 2018, I believe. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so this book is as much about Yacht Club games as it is about the actual game. Yeah, right? it is, and that's 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 what I really like to do. Um, I always consider this started with stay a while and listen. Um, I I think I love video games and technology, but really I consider them a stage mm-hmm. in a production, and the actors, the developers, are what really matter. Uh, all I want to do is kind of set the stage and let them come out and and draw you in. And so I I like to make sure I can write as much, if not more about the people, because my, usually what I will do and, and the shovel Knight book follows my usual formula, which is I want to, I want you to get to know these, these developers. Mm -hmm. I want you to become interested in why they want to make their game. And then once you're invested, I'll dig into the nitty gritty game design stuff that way. You know, I've had people who don't really care about video games, um, express interest in books like Shovel Knight, like Stay Well and Listen, like okay. Dungeon Hacks, which is about roguelikes, because okay. I, I get them attached to the quote-unquote characters first, and then they're interested yes. in what they do from there. So it seems to have been working well so far. No, perfect. And I'm like you too. I got into Shovel Knight late. Like, if honestly, if it wasn't for reading your book, I don't think I would have even played a game. because it was. And I can't believe it was so long ago that the game came out. It just felt like a couple of years ago, right? It feels like that, yeah. Yeah, so I played it. Obviously, I loved it. I'm a retro gamer. I love, like, my favorites are Mega Man. Like, I love Mega Man games. And I love DuckTales. And I could have sworn they stole that from DuckTales, but it was actually from Zelda 2. Yeah, you know, I went into I went into the interviews with the same misconception because oh. you, you think about pogoing and you think, as any kid from the 80s has, oh, Scrooge, DuckTales, Captain Exactly. Force. But no, it was Zelda 2. And, you know, actually, I kind of, I love Zelda 2. Okay, yeah. Um, unironically, I know it's the Black Sheep or one of the Black Sheep of the series. But right. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, for an 8-bit game, it has its flaws. It's it's grindy as hell for sure. But I thought that for an 8-bit game, it had really good sword play. And so it kind of made sense to me years later when Shigeru Miyamoto said, actually, you know, we looked at Ocarina of Time as an opportunity to kind of flesh out the sword play of Zelda 2. Right. Um, but yeah, like that, it surprised me that Yacht Club took the, the downward thrust and pogoing from Zelda 2 because the downward thrust was a thing, but you didn't really pogo from it. That's you didn't true. get much vertical at all. So yeah. it, it, it was kind of cool. It just goes to show you that the 80s produced so many great video games that the influences can come from all over the place. And I, I especially liked that they, they borrowed from Zelda 2 because. I think today a lot of people can be binary. It's pretty common mm. on the internet for someone to say, oh, that game is trash, or, oh, that game's the greatest, where it's really, it's, they can be more than the sum of their parts. You can say 
Zelda 2 has a lot of problems, but the sword play and this technique in particular were cool. So let's right. use that and expand on that. And that's what they did. Yeah, no kidding. The only gripe I have about the game, and this is only because of me, because I now I'm older and I'm sick and tired of dying, is the difficulty. Oh, it's tough. It's a it's tough game. It's hard for sure. But yeah. I had the authors of the upcoming uh, Mortal Kombat encyclopedia on, and I mentioned it as, uh, as a pass by that. I love the game so much, and I hate hard games, but this game, I felt so satisfied once I eventually cleared it for the first time. I was like, oh, like, I don't know. It was something different. It was like old school feeling, right? Yeah, it, it really was. Shovel Knight is interesting because, as I explain in the book, they wanted it to, they wanted Shovel Knight to feel like you remembered retro games rather yes. than what retro games really were. Like, one distinction I, I've, I've liked to draw for years, and Shovel Knight gave me a platform to expound on, mm-hmm. is that when people say, oh, NES games were so hard, what they actually mean was many NES games were cheap. And it's mm-hmm. because. The NES was a very early console, and a lot of the developers who worked on it came from the arcade scene, where the right. objective is Thank to you. design very cheap games to keep <laughs> pumping, to keep taking quarters. Exactly. Uh, for example, I love Mega Man as well. Mega Man 1, though, very, very cheap game. You could tell, like, night and day difference going from Mega Man 1 to 2 and True. then to 3, which is my favorite. I'm one of those people. Okay, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was, you know, for example, like, they... Shovel Knight had this mix of old and new where Shovel Knight does all sorts of, of cool graphical techniques mm-hmm. that weren't possible in the NES, but they felt like they would be possible. Yes. And that's really the, the critical d- distinction. And then there are other influences like, like Dark Souls. Um, mm. You have the checkpoints, but you can break the checkpoints to get money. And it's kind of this risk reward where you're choosing how difficult you make the game. If you, if you like the checkpoints, leave them intact. If you just want the money or you're challenging yourself, break them get the money but then you're going to have a lot more ground to cover even when you die I, I thought that was a really cool way to to balance old yes. and new design philosophy and it was so unique when okay see now you're going to call me stupid i never knew you could smash the checkpoints until like almost the third last level of the game honestly and it oh, happened by mistake because i started pogoing and then i hit it yeah and i'm like what the hell and then it shattered oh, it just cracked the glass yes yeah. so now i'm thinking I'm like oh my god all these free jewels and all this extra and then i die i'm like what the hell? I got to go all the way back oh, here and the checkpoint yeah. disappears? Oh, no. What have I done? Yeah, man. <laughs> and that's kind of the cool thing that I miss about games. Nowadays, within 24 hours of a game's release, it feels like everyone solved everything and it's on the internet. Yes. Whereas Shovel that's Knight, true. one thing that was cool about retro games is that you couldn't, you had to just figure things out. You would talk with your friends. You would yes. take issues Nintendo power to school and, <laughs> and hold a big summit on the playground oh, and exchange passwords and swap cartridges or game tapes as we called them back exactly. then. Exactly. And uh, Shovel Knight had a lot of that. Like I, I didn't know about the checkpoints either until like you, I accidentally swung and I hit one. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. And that was, it really kind of evoked that old school sense of awe and wonder I had as a kid yes. at finding things like, like the warp zone in Mario Brothers. The first time I found that, oh I my was God. like, I must be the only person in the world who knows about this. <laughs> this, is, this is the coolest thing. And that sense of discovery is, is still alive and well in games like Shovel Knight. Oh my God. And yes, and like you said, you, t- you touched on it. You spent like a good 12 hours with the five original people. Uh, now... In my opinion, it really sets the scene. We talked and we touched on it too, obviously. Again, the going back and forth from their story into the game and then your experience with the game, just master, masterful. I appreciate that. And that's one thing I struggled with because um, I'm, 
as a writer, I like to grow. I like each story I tell to do something different. I, I don't like to get into a rut. I like to challenge myself. And one thing Gabe and I talked about, he said, you know, this, this story is missing that boss fight touch, which is we don't really know your connection to the game. Ah. And that's something we worked in. So what we decided to do is, okay, you know what? I'm going to set the stage in the introduction. I'm going to write about what retro games meant to me, what Shovel Knight means to me as a fan of retro games who really wanted something, wanted a, what, a what retro style game sure. that was, that played like the games as I remembered them rather than as they really were. And so that's kind of, that was the entry point. And I guess the reason I don't like to, pardon me, is uh, include a lot of myself in books is because I, I like to write through the eyes of developers as much as I can so mm. that you identify with them. It's something yeah. of an omniscient perspective. Depending on the story, I won't even do a lot of foreshadowing yeah. because I don't want to be God. I don't want to say, oh, I know this is coming. I want you to walk <laughs> with them. Right, right. Um, and so, yeah, that's something that, that I mean, Gabe was, Gabe and Mike Williams, uh, the editor, were great. Uh, they worked with me to make sure we got just enough of myself in there that, that fans of the Boss Fight series would be like, okay, this guy knows what I'm here for. And then from there, I said, okay, let's focus on on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I saw a lot of myself in the developers. They, they grew up playing a lot of the same games I did. They right. wanted to play the same kind of game that I wanted to play. And it just so happened that they were the ones who went and made it. And that was really cool to write about. Yeah, and you see all the influences. We mentioned it. There's Mega Man. There's Sword of DuckTales. There's Zelda. We didn't even mention yeah. Castlevania, right? Yeah, and that was a big one for me because I'm Castlevania is one that I'm I'm more lukewarm on. The funny thing about Castlevania is okay. um, I actually prefer the classic platform style games to the more Metroidvania Symphony of the Night style games. Okay, gotcha. But also, I feel like Castlevania as a series for a long time really straddled that line between genuine difficulty and and cheapness. Like, true, it's a lot of it is subjective. <laughs> I've really i've never really liked i love 2d platformers that's actually my favorite genre okay. but i like games like i feel like on a spectrum mega man is at one end where you have a lot of control over mega man in the air sure castlevania is at the other end where Oof. once you commit to a jump that is it you're not no adjustments yep and then Mario's kind of in the center where depending on the game you have more or less control mm-hmm. and castlevania for me it, it was weird. I, I don't even know if this was intentional on Konami's part, but, you know, a lot of NES games, if you moved, if you scrolled the screen to the left even an inch and then walked back, enemies that had already passed would respawn. Yes. And so, oh, here comes that Medusa head just as I'm at the apex of my jump to knock me back into the pit. And it was really annoying. It's still annoying as an adult. But I've always respected the design of the games because I can see objectively what the designer set out to do. And I feel like Yacht Club had the distance to say, we're going to have more or less of Castlevania here, more or less of Mega Man here. Even Super Mario Brothers 3, like, oh, most of the influence from that game comes from the world map more than yes, anything else. Of course. So I like that they were able to say, we're going to you know, you know, turn the Mario 3 dial here, we're going to dial back on the Zelda 2 here. Mm-hmm. And I, I just loved that it was like the perfect composition or arrangement of these 8-bit songs, if you will, where you hit the right notes at the right time. Now imagine if this game came out when we were kids. Yeah, that would be really wild. And right? The cool thing is, it, it feels like it could have been right on the shelf in between Mega Man 2 and Castlevania 2. Well, 3. 1 or 3, mm-hmm. I would say. More. Yeah, <laughs> 2, yeah. We all know about 2. 2 is not mentioned yeah. too many times. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I, you know, I like certain parts of that game. I think the atmosphere is cool, but right. again, NES hard. 
for back to the day. Exactly. And then even all the extra research that Yacht Club went into this before getting even their Kickstarters and saying, like, this is why the game is so good. It, like, it, it doesn't just take putting all these games together. Like you mentioned, it's the love they grew up on. It's the little nuances. Oh. And it's their previous experiences from working at other uh, places, right? Correct, correct. They, they seem to know, like I said, the exact right notes to hit. Um, I think a good example is when you fight, um, I'm probably going to get the name wrong because I haven't played the game in a while, but Tinker Knight. Um, when you fight his evolved form, the giant mech with the drill, the yes. background is almost all black. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, and the reason they did that mm. is because if you remember in on NES, I didn't know this as a kid, but in, right. in Dr. Wily's castle, the giant bosses yes. were set against all black backgrounds. And I just thought, oh, it's because it's really ominous and, and cool. Right. No, it's because those bosses were too large for character sprites to hold. So they were actually mm-hmm. background layers animated to interact with foreground objects, namely wow. Mega Man. And, you know, Yacht Club told me, like, hey, we totally didn't have to do that. We had more than enough memory on, on, than the Wii U and the 3DS. Of course. But they they chose to go with that style so that it evoked that experience of those boss fights from the 8-bit days. Yeah, no kidding. And, like, again, another thing to tell Yacht Club, they took no shortcuts. Like, when they knew something was wrong, they spent their time and perfected it no matter how long it took and everything and their... The countless nights of not going home to their loved ones and staying up late and working countless hours, nine to five hours every day, all the time, barely getting yeah. paid. Like, you know what I mean? Now, how do you feel about developers having to work these long hours? Like, I understand if they're forced to, but if they want to and it's for the love of it, I say go for it, man. Like, you know what I mean? Why not? I feel the same way. I, I don't like, you know, for example, right now, uh, we're a few weeks out from Cyberpunk 2077. Yes, release. of course. Yeah. And you have CD Projekt imposing crunch. A lot of times, the directive to crunch and enforce crunch doesn't come from management. It comes from culture where if you get up from your desk at 5, 6, or 7 and people give you the stink eye, you feel that peer pressure to right. stay because everyone else is staying. Thank you, yes. But, yeah, but I'm, I'm kind of with you. I Look, I'm, I'm a self-professed workaholic. I love to write. If my wife didn't occasionally stand <laughs> at the door of my home office and say, done right um then I, I probably wouldn't stop but i do feel like if if the developers are cool with it and when they're in the financial situations they were if their families are cool with it if they know that the big payoff fingers crossed will come over just over the horizon right. i say go for it because you know so it's stay well and listen to which covers diablo 2 i mm. write about how um, that team crunched for 18 months solid. Crazy. Uh, six to seven days, 12-hour days minimum. Wow. But they, they also said, you know what, the crunch was bad. There are people I talk to who, to this day, and Diablo 2 is over 20 years old now, but they said, yeah. I still feel effects from that crunch. I'm still shell-shocked. Wow. Some people left the industry. They don't want to work in games oh. anymore. They go to banks. They go to banks, and as programmers, they make more money because ah. they're not working 100 hours a week. They're working 40 to 50. Sure, you know? makes sense. <laughs> um but they, uh, they said, you know what, if not for that crunch, though, we wouldn't have come up with a lot of the features we did. Like in mm. Diablo 2, if you're familiar, you can hire mercenaries to yes. fight alongside you. Love that game. That was something they thought of in the final months. Really? Someone suggested. And they said, <laughs> you know what, that, ha- that has to go in. So they worked extra to make that in. Yeah. And so that's the thing, right? I, I think the game industry, 
I don't agree with crunch, but I don't disagree with it either. I think it should be conscious. I think, really, I think developers should unionize. I think that would solve a lot of problems because then they would be properly compensated for those extra hours. Yes. But they would they would also feel like if I'm a developer and I love a game, but I'm also tired. I'm I'm sleep deprived. I'm malnourished. Yeah, that's different. I want to feel like, okay, I love this game and I can work all these long hours knowing that I'm being fairly compensated. Right. That, I think, is the perfect world scenario I would like to see happen. Yeah, no kidding. That's so true. And okay, th- this was crazy when you mentioned this because I didn't even know about this. This game was so popular that at one point, Yacht Club was able to sell an en- an envelope full of dirt for 100 bucks. <laughs> like, what? what's wrong with people? <laughs> I know. That's such a great story. It's almost funny. Like, the, the analog today is... I don't even remember her name, but there's that streamer who sold her bathwater. Like <laughs> some, some people like what they like, man. And it's weird, but it's also kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of cool because I think if I recall that envelope of dirt was a Kickstarter perk and that's all, that's not all you were getting. You were getting a bunch of other stuff too. Right. Uh, and so it was kind of cool to like, it was almost a gag gift. Like, you know what? I, I like you guys. You seem cool. I support your project. Here's some extra money and I'll have my envelope of dirt, which actually becomes a souvenir. Like Shovel Knight is considered one of the greatest games made. Right. That envelope of dirt is actually worth some money now. So it's, it's kind of funny how that turns out. Oh my God. No kidding. Right. Yeah. And you yeah. dropped a lot of other tidbits too. That, uh, I can't think right off the top of my head, but there was a lot of stuff that, People wouldn't have known. And again, this is another thing I love about Boss Fight Books, that you guys come up with these little like hidden gems that unless you talk to the developers, no one would know of, right? Right, right. In fact, we had to cut a lot of content. Um, I, I had, um, I think, two chapters worth of a Boss Fight design anecdotes. Oh. And, and Gabe was like, you know, this is cool, but we don't want to dwell on it too long because at the time... I don't. I think this has since been surpassed, and I didn't set out to do this. But at the time, he said, "Shovel Knight is already looking like the longest book we've ever printed." Oh, okay. But we need to keep the costs reasonable, and a lot of this—it's interesting, but it's also redundant. And I said, "Okay, that's that's fair." So here's what here's what I'll do. I want to publish that cut material around the time the book is released so that you can go and read free chapters, mm. free extracts. And in fact, like I, I published some on Gama Sutra, some on Shack News. I had, I had a full chapter on how the speedrunning community kind of dissected different levels. Oh. In Shovel Knight. And sure. those chapters are out there. They're free to read. Um, and that way I could, I could still get the writing out there, still share the stories. Cause that's what's most important to me. I like to share the developers stories um, but the book was also a reasonable length and you never, as a reader, you would never feel like, man, he's going on about this one thing too long. I think the story flows much better. So Gabe and Mike were totally right, right in that regard. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, now I just remembered one of them. That's right. And it has nothing yeah. to do with Shovel Knight that originally Donkey Kong was supposed to be a Popeye game. What the hell? Oh yeah. See, that's the thing. A lot of people are like, oh, everybody's written so much about Nintendo, but I didn't realize that. Uh, at the time I was writing Shovel Knight. And so it's it's just interesting how things can change. And that, that also speaks to Nintendo's design methodology. They've talked a lot about this. They, Especially Zelda fans. Zelda fans want to know, like, what were you thinking about mm. when you added this to the mythology or this character? And they kind of say, to paraphrase, we weren't thinking about that at all. We think about a cool gameplay idea. And then we think about, well, which of our characters does this make sense right. to attach the gameplay to? Uh, I think the original Legend of Zelda started as a, they were thinking, 
we could make we could have this star Mario, but no, that's not what Mario really does. Mario runs and jumps, so let's create a new character for this. So yeah, the Popeye story is is really a really cool historical tidbit about Nintendo. <laughs> so we've pretty much talked about the design of the game, the controls, how tight they are. Actually, do you prefer a game that's more fun and has sloppy controls, or a semi-fun game but has nice tight controls? Definitely, <sighs> right? Okay, that's I hard. Guess I have to be. It is hard. I would say so. Right now, I'm playing the Demon Souls remake on okay. PS5. Sure. And I love Demon Souls. My wife does too. We've played this game together since day one. Wow. Okay. And that—that's a game that was very imperfect. It was sloppy in a lot of regards, but it was still really fun. Okay. So I would actually have to say I'm—I'm I'm very forgiving of a game that has warts. If uh, to use the analogy, as long as it has a great personality, it doesn't have to have a pretty face. I'm fine with that. <laughs> uh, uh, or no, I mean, really, like I, I definitely prefer the personality in games because, like Demon Souls, like if you look at Dark Souls, Dark Souls was much more refined, but Demon Souls was so fun. It was mm. it was grindy. A lot of mechanics just didn't make sense. I think even to this day, uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki has a habit of of obfuscating what he should make clear and clarifying what he should obfuscate. But there was a lot of fun there. So, yeah, uh, I would have to say a sloppier but fun game. That's that's right up my alley because I like to see the potential in games. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so the story. We haven't touched really on that. Now, this is a little far out there, like the story-wise. But the one thing that they didn't do was the whole damsel in distress Right. Yes. With yes. The, with with Shield Knight and everything. So to me, that that was great. And I know they did it on purpose. That was the way they always wanted to go. But again, another tidbit. Now speaking about this, that uh, who was it? Someone was supposed to die at the end. Was it Shield Knight was supposed to die or something? Um. So that's it. That's interesting. Let me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So let me touch on that. So um, I actually loved how Shield Knight factored into the story. I love that. The game never states explicitly whether or not she is a romantic partner or just a partner in adventure or a friend. Right. Um, it, it's it gives a, a great uh, portrayal of equality, and in fact, I love the fact that you cannot beat the enchantress in her final form yes. unless you have Shield Knight there to work with. It takes two. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, and I, I do touch on this in the book, that wasn't the way they were going to go. They were going to have, I think originally that character, Shield Knight, was called Beloved. Oh, she was a love interest who was going to get captured. Right. She was the princess in another castle. Yes, yes, and they yes, thought, yes. they thought, you know, that is kind of old. And in this day and age, we'd get blowback for that. And <laughs> honestly, it's not the way we think about women either. So why don't we change that so that Shield Knight is your partner? Makes and sense. that it, it's really they're two halves of the same whole. Yeah. And I really like how that happened. And um, yes, originally, uh, now I can't remember. I do get into the book, but either <laughs> Shield Knight or Shovel Knight was supposed to die. I think Shield Knight was supposed to die. Yeah, yes. and then Shovel Knight was okay. supposed to dig her grave or something, right? Yeah, so, so what was going to happen, you know, at the end, the castle crumbles and Shield Knight hands Shovel Knight off to uh, the Black Knight. Yes, to uh to save she makes the sacrifice and that was very important too because it gave the female character agency she was making this choice she wasn't sacrificed she was the one choosing to sacrifice herself Mm -hmm. and then at the end the credits would show shovel knight using his shovel to dig her grave and then there'd be this big reveal like oh wow that's what the shovel is ultimately for to dig the grave 
of his partner. And yeah, I, I, I'm glad they didn't go that route. Uh, <laughs> I, I have always wanted, I know that the, that the Shovel Knight is done now. They've done several great expansions. I still hope in the future we get a Shield Knight game because I think there's so much potential there to explore with her and her abilities. Whether it's 2D platform or 3D platform, okay. I just I would have loved to play a Shovel Knight. But yeah, I, I, I absolutely loved the story. And so that's one thing I'm really into. That's why I gravitate toward games such as such as Demons and Dark Souls, such okay. as Shovel Knight, such as Diablo, because the storytelling, it's almost optional. You can ignore it. Mm. But if you pay attention, there's a lot of environmental storytelling going on and there's also a lot of lore a lot of people conflate lore and story they are actually different things of course um and i love that in shovel knight the 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 dream sequences for example you can completely skip them you don't have to try to catch shield knight in his nightmare but it hurts you more in the character's head you can tell that she is constantly on his mind he's terrified for her he wants to help her and he feels like he can't save her Mm. and i thought that was a great way of kind of deepening the players bond to not only shield knight but shovel knight you have more empathy for why he's setting out to rescue his partner no it's so true because i usually just nowadays especially when i'm not invested in the story right off the bat or whatever or it's subtitles i i just forward and i just want to get to the gameplay but then i found myself halfway through i like i want to know what this story is about and then uh, yes it got me into it you know what i mean so yeah, yeah it, absolutely. It, but again, you could play it straight through without even not caring about the story. It's still great platforming. Everything's tight, like we mentioned, the controls and everything. And one thing we didn't mention was how all the music came together and how the composer from the Mega Man series added her talents towards this. Crazy, yeah, right? That was a really cool thing. It just goes to show there's there's kind of a joke in the industry that it's it's a really small dinner table with the family all gathered around. And at some point, you will sit next to different family members because everyone in the industry, eventually, they have like that six degrees of separation thing going on. Right. And so it was really uh, fortuitous or serendipity or a little bit of both um, that uh, everything was able to come together the way it did. And you can really you can really feel, I want to say here, which is obvious, but you can also <laughs> feel yes. the influence of, of Mega Man on the, on the music as well. And I, I just I love that game's soundtrack. They did the, they did what retro games did so well, which is to have you know a theme, a, a leap motif for every area, every character, mm. and uh, that way, like the music cues become part of the story. You yes. know that when you step through the second gate in the Mega Man game, and the boss music music kicks in, even though you don't see the boss, maybe they're bursting up from the ground or dropping in. You know, oh shit's about to get real. Exactly. It's about to go down. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's again music. The, the cool thing about video games is they are an audio visual medium, which means you can use you can use graphics, you can use sound and music, you can use controls yes. and text. That interactivity, it all comes together to to offer a form of storytelling that is unique. No other medium can do that. Yeah, no kidding. And I love the fact how again, going back to the small details, how they tried to pretend how they were working on an nes cartridge so they didn't try and go above and beyond because they could have gone crazy with the music but no it was like yes. that 8-bit sprite era type of music right yeah that's they they wanted to to stay true to that in fact i believe um i believe that if you and i think they did this if you copy all the music over to an nes cartridge and stick it into an nes control deck 
in theory, it will play. Mm. Now, the game itself will not run on NES. It's okay. kind of like Mega Man 9 and 10 in that Capcom used tricks, much like Shovel Knight did a few years later, right. to make it look like an NES game, but not actually function one. It's more advanced than that, but you can't really tell. It's so close to what you remember that it's almost like a magician's trick. But as far as the music, that can all be played on an NES cartridge, I believe, and that's a really cool little tidbit about that game. Yeah, no kidding. Well, one level I want to touch on for sure, and you bring it up in the book, was the Iron Whale. Underwater yeah. stages. I love how you incorporated how in the Mega Man series, you actually have, like, my everyone remembers Mega Man 2. It was Bubble Man, right? Underwater. Right. That, that's a classic level. And especially the dreaded Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> damn bomb diffusing stage. Oh, my that, God. My palms started to damn, sweat. Damn, damn. That's crazy. But it's funny how all these underwater... And again, Mario's the same thing. Like, I love getting the frog suit in Mario 3. Like, you know what I mean? Like, all these things of under... What do you think it is about underwater levels that just sucks gamers in? I think that... The, so, most games... If you have, if you play Echo the Dolphin, for example... That's another one. Palatable. Well, that's, a, that's another one because the thing about that game, the thing about Echo is it's set underwater completely. Whereas most games are set on land. True. And so when you suddenly literally dunk players into the water and say, okay, all the controls you learned, all of the strategies you developed, none of that applies here. You're going to move slower. There's going to be things you can't avoid. Um, it just kind of makes water levels a pain in the ass. Even to this day, when I enter like a sewer <laughs> or go into the water in any game, I'm like, ugh. Please don't suck. I remember hearing in Bioshock. I love Bioshock, and then I heard it yes. too. They're like, "Oh, you're going to go out in the water." I'm like, "Anxiety." Have to. Like, I know. Yeah, man. Like all the things you could do. Well, here's another one. It's not really underwater, but it involves water. The jet skis and battle toads. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right? It's like anything to do with water. It just kind of it just flips the script to such a degree that you don't feel like you're playing the same game, and you feel like you're being cheated a bit it's kind of like your right. teacher who says hey these questions will be on the test and then you go to the test and then oh suddenly half of it none of that stuff is not only did you not know it was on the test but you've never even studied it in class it just it's feels crazy. completely unfair no I kidding that's now, a lot of what it is what about your thoughts on ice and fire levels because those to me are just as bad <laughs> they can be just as bad the funny thing about ice is i think i think they're both more palatable because most of the times, like, I don't know, take um, take an ice level in a Mario or a Mega Man game. Yes. The only thing that they really add is that you lose friction on ice. That's what I hate. <laughs> but, and, and, and it does suck, but you are still, you still know that A's jump, B's shoot, True. and control pad moves. Right, it's right. not suddenly like, oh, A is swim and B is, I don't know, take a breath or whatever. It's, <laughs> right, it's still right. the same controls, there's just this wrinkle. And so it can really suck. But I also kind of like it because it doesn't flip the script too much. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just a different sort of challenge. But again, it's very subjective. Some people hate it as much as they hate water levels like you do. Right. And I completely get it. I completely get it. Oh, my God. Another cool thing was that Nintendo themselves were 100% behind this game. Even having them featured at the cons, to the Nintendo Direct, all this stuff. And it was like... Uh, unprecedented at the time because it was all first party games to have a third party developer come in and get all this attention yeah. it's pretty wild at the time right it, oh it was Here, here's the thing about nintendo when they're on top they will treat you like dirt nintendo's <laughs> actually a pretty 
unfriendly company. I don't know if you heard today, but they they issued cease and desist orders to these developers who um, created a program okay. that allows you to play Super Smash Brothers uh, Melee, the GameCube version, right. online with virtually no latency. It has Ooh. better netcode than any Smash game Nintendo has ever developed. Shit. <laughs> and this was very important because during the pandemic, with all these events canceled, the Smash community oh. was hanging on by a thread right. because the netcode on Smash Brothers Ultimate is awful right and they couldn't get together in person so nintendo issuing the cease and desist letters is it could be the death blow for the smash fighting game community it's a real Mm. shame but the thing is during the wii u era Mm -hmm. that console did not do well (laughs) and so nintendo needed third parties and indies in order to interest players who were uh growing more interested in indie games because you know that's around the time that indie games started to become more of a thing that's true you saw yes. a game you saw games like braid on the xbox live arcade yeah. get just as much if not more promotion than you know a gears of war or a halo i mean that's a slight exaggeration but the point is the these games are starting to share the stage literally and figuratively with triple right. a games and so <clears throat> i think that I mean, Nintendo still does a great job working with indies because it's a way to kind of uh, help distinguish them from Sony and, and Microsoft, who work great with indies too, but the mm-hmm. Switch is just this... The Switch, again, the indies are helping Nintendo as much as Nintendo is helping the indies because games... There have been games that have been out for years, such as Super Meat Boy, who the developers have said that game is selling better on Switch than it has on PC in the last, I don't know, whatever, whatever it's been, eight years, right. ten years. of course. Uh, but if Nintendo doesn't need you... They might just treat you like gum on the bottom of their shoe. And so I really feel like it was just the perfect storm of events. The Wii U not doing well, Yacht Club's founders being such Nintendo fans and wanting to create a spirit, a game in the spirit of Nintendo games that all came together at the right time in the right place for, for Shovel Knight to get the promotional push it did. Yeah, no kidding. Now, okay, you mentioned it. There's so much, You, it was off the bat, we said 12 hours you spent with these guys. There was a lot of stuff left out. What was the one thing you wished? You were like, come on, Gabe, please, that you fought till the end to get in. Um, I definitely wanted to include the chapter on speedrunning because oh. I felt like I'm not a speedrunner myself. Yeah, me neither. But I love watching speedruns. I get really uh, passionate about that community. Okay. So when, when you talk about how boss fight authors like to weave their stories and intertwine them mm-hmm. with the stories about the making of the game and why they love it. Right. That, for me, was was very important to me. And I don't think I expressed that. I also understand why it was cut, but I definitely wanted that chapter to be a part of the book. But like I said earlier, I'm just glad it survived in some form so you can read it. You can consider mm-hmm. it, if there was ever an unabridged edition of Shovel Knight, that chapter would be in the book. And it, mm-hmm. it is kind of, it just you read it online is the thing. Oh, true. Okay, so yeah. what have you done in the game? Have you completed 100%? Have you done all the feats? Have you gone back, got all the, what was it, the music sheets, everything? So the funny thing about writing about games is this year especially, over the past five years, I'm so busy between articles and books that okay. I don't have nearly as much time to play games as I did. Oh, so yeah. oftentimes, I, I make times, I, I tried 100% games, but I haven't done that in a long time. I think I've platinum one game my entire life, which was uh, Prince of Persia Classic. That's because oh, wow. there are only like 10 trophies or whatever. It was. Okay, okay. Um, but Shovel Knight, I came very close. Uh, in Shovel Knight, 
and Inspector of Torment, which are my two favorite versions of the game's two favorite characters, just because the game is so fun to play, the movement, which is so important. Mm. We talked about the, the tightness of controls. Yeah. I feel like if in a platforming game, if you're not having fun moving with your character, then you're not having fun. Right. And a lot of the reason I, I go for 100% or as close to it I, as I can get mm. is because I'm having so much fun just moving as those characters mm, that completely makes sense yeah now i'm going through my second playthrough and now i'm just trying to get the music sheets and then i'll probably play through again and see if i could do the feats because i saw some of those things and it's yeah. like boy i don't know if i could They're like tough Ooh, i know it's crazy like one is the one i think i could do was probably complete a stage without dying but even though again these stages are pretty long or not yeah. getting hit in a stage that one is i don't know how i'm gonna do that one I don't know how I'd do that one. That, I think if I were to try, I think I could probably swing the beat a stage without dying cheat. The one I would probably go to for that is Pride More Keep. Mm, uh, okay. Because King Knight's level has its challenging points, but it's also, since it's the first proper level, right. it's also the one where I think you stand the best chance of surviving. Mm-hmm. And then once I'd mastered that, I'd probably also go to that stage for the beat it without getting hit feat because... You know, all the obstacles in that are manageable. There's there's a lot of uh, enemies in that area you can avoid completely if you know if you have your routing down. So now I now you're making me want to go back and try it. So I might have to try those. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, this this is the whole point. The whole point of having these guys on is to a for people to read the book and b to go back and play these games, right? Yes, exactly. <sighs> okay, so you said you don't spend too much time playing video games, but I saw something online the other day on social media that you posted, and you've put in. 405 hours into Animal Crossing? Seriously? Yes. I have. So here's the thing. I'd never gotten into Animal Crossing before New Horizons. Okay. Uh, my, my boss at Shack News said, hey, we have a spare download code for Nintendo. Do you want to try this? I was like, fine, I'll try this baby's <laughs> game. And I even texted him the other night. I'm like, look, I love sandbox games. That's why yeah. he came to me. I, I'm a systems guy. I love the systems in games. Games like Breath of the Wild, Shovel Knight, Dark Souls... Those are up my alley because there's a lot of freedom to experiment. I was like, what are you doing in this game? He's just, you just exist. You just sell fruit, dig some holes. And I was like, okay. By the, by the next day, I was hooked. So, yeah, I have over 400 hours in Shovel Knight. Here's the, th- or, uh, I probably have around 100 in that. In uh, <laughs> Animal Crossing. Right. The reason is, honestly, this year, this year has kind of changed my outlook on games. Yeah. Um, I've had a challenging year, like most people have. Sure. Um, I, I struggle with mental health, and it's been particularly bad this year because you know you miss your friends, you miss your family, you miss just normal routines. So, I get it. what I what I've started to do is I, I wake up early. I am I'm a night owl, but ever since college, I've woken up early, whether I wanted to or not. So I okay. just decided to embrace it. <laughs> and for the first hour or two of my day, I I mute Animal Crossing. I listen to an audiobook, and I just kind of run around my island and do oh. really simple stuff. Well, and yeah. it's just a way, like, I'll, I'll build things, sure. I'll, I'll harvest fruit, I'll trade. It's just become a really fun way to unwind and kind of ease into the day. Animal Crossing is great for that, man. It's some, it's it's almost therapeutic, honestly. See, and because of stories like yours, hearing uh, the massive hours you pump into it, this is why I'm scared to play it. I still have not played it. I haven't been sucked <sighs> into it for that yeah. reason only because I still have a backlog of stuff I'm trying to get through and I, I think yeah. if I go in because I'm one of those guys I usually like to play one retro game and one current game at the same time that's what, yeah. that's what I do so if I get into Animal Crossing I don't think I'll play ever, anything ever again <laughs> uh, dude I, I was there and it's it's nice because it really is the type of game it's kind of like a Mario game where like a Mario game you can play one level okay. or one world right. or the whole game 
but it's it's easy True. to put it down and then and then come back to it later. Animal Crossing is like that. There there are some mornings I've played. I said an hour or two. Sometimes it's like twenty minutes. I go. I check the store to see what's new. I'll sell some fruit. I'll complete a few optional quests and then I'll turn it off. Um, I really like that. It's especially important as an adult. Where you know, even though you and I we don't have any kids, but we still have a lot of stuff to do. We have work and this and that. Of course, yeah. Uh, since I'm a full-time writer, I always have something on the fire, more than one something. <laughs> and so it's nice to be able to just say, you know, today or yesterday I only had like 15, 20 minutes. Today I have an hour, and man, I need it. And just kind of lose myself in a book and a game at the same time. It's really nice. No, that's cool to hear. That's cool to hear. Okay, before we get into the worst story of the week, we have another thing in common that we like and partake in and love to watch, and that's professional wrestling. Yes. Now, how did you become a pro wrestling fan from the start or did you just something Steve, recently? I have a question for you first. How okay. did you become a pro wrestling fan? Okay, it's funny. I think I've told this it before. It doesn't matter oh, how you became. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just Get kidding. There's the a joke for you. There. I love no, it. No, no, I love you it. Looked into it though, but you love it, right? You love I love it. it. Um, I'll, t- I'll tell you mine and then I want you to tell me yours. Sure, go for it. Um, for years, <laughs> I didn't really pay attention to pro wrestling. I didn't really like it. But okay. There's one summer, my best friend, Andrew, his girlfriend went to study abroad for like a month. So he missed her. And he right. was, he's been into wrestling since he was a kid. In fact, he would take the money he would get for Christmas and use it to buy the Royal Rumble every oh. January. So there was one, this was 2001, after the uh, after WW, then WWF bought out WCW and ECW. Right. They were going through that alliance storyline. The pay-per-view was Invasion. And I went over to his house just to keep him company. I'm like, I don't really like wrestling but i'll watch it <laughs> the match that made me a fan Uh-oh. was rob van dam okay. versus jeff hardy oh it was super fun sure. now my favorite of all time is the rock which is why i set you up of course for that it doesn't matter you know <laughs> uh, I, I really respect dwayne johnson the pro wrestler the athlete the entertainer and the right. man i think he's a genuinely good person right. i admire his work ethic yeah. i'm very inspired by him yeah but um these days i'm i'm a fan of just because I love what pro wrestling is. Mm. Um, I love that you can watch it for different reasons. You Thank know, you. I have friends who are more interested in the characters and the stories. Mm-hmm. I love technical wrestling. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I love guys like Daniel Bryan, a.k.a. Bryan Danielson. Yeah. Uh, I love Kenny Omega. Of course. Uh, Chris Jericho, the, the late, great Eddie Guerrero, Shawn Michaels, Chris Benoit's touchy, touchy subject, but I think he was objectively one of the best of all time, even yep. though I don't think Technically, he of course. Oh, technically, absolutely. Hey, you're speaking to um, a Canadian. I know technical. Being hey, hard country, like right? Hitman heart. Exactly, and see? Best there is, best there is, <laughs> best there ever will be. Definitely, like, uh, totally up my alley. Um, but I'll watch anything. I get into the stories. We were talking before we started recording how uh, I think AEW is great. Um, I I haven't really watched week to week in a while, okay. but I keep up. Sure. I go to Squared Circle on Reddit every morning just right. to see what's going on. I've ordered all their pay-per-views. Uh, I still follow WWE, although I, I admit I have a lot of problems with their politics and the way they're treating their wrestlers these days, especially in, re- in regard to platforms like like taking ownership of their Twitch platforms. I don't mm-hmm. think that's right at all. Right. And it makes it, it makes it hard for me to give them money because I don't want to support that, even though it's kind sense. of like you're between a rock and a hard place or the rock and a hard place where um, <laughs> you want to support the wrestlers, but you also don't want to give your right? money to Vince McMahon. That's kind of how I feel about right. it. Right. Um, but what, I mean, what about you? How'd you get into wrestling? Okay. Well, first I used to hate it because my, I have two older brothers and they would force me to watch wrestling. And for some odd reason, as a kid, I'd start to cry when I'd see these men just colliding against each other. It would make me cry. 
But this was like wow. maybe four, four, four or five years old, right? But then yeah. I saw WrestleMania 4. Hook, line, and sinker. That's it. Game oh, over. Wow. Ever since then, I've been a fan. I pretty much watch everything. You name it. It's hard to watch yeah. everything nowadays because there's just so much content. So yeah. I usually typically watch the like the big three or four shows nowadays, and then everything else I'll just either read about it, or if someone tweets that oh it's a great match or this this and that, then I'll go watch a match. Obviously, I'm, I'm the same way. So what do you consider the big three? Obviously, Raw and SmackDown, but are you including Dynamite or NXT? I'm both. So NXT Dynamite. Okay. So I'll watch, okay. I guess, those four. Yeah, those are the big four. I've been dipping into Impact recently because I've had a few of their wrestlers on the show too. And it sucked yeah. me in. Like, they're, they're producing right some now, good man. stuff, man. It really is. Uh, Ring of Honor is... Um, There's another one, yes. Yeah, I can't think of what it's called, but they're doing... They're going for a an almost total sports-like approach. Very technical matches. Um, very in-depth commentary well yeah they brought back the pure title right so yeah 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 exactly that's what it is so it's it's like i haven't gotten to keep up with that as much but i i plan to get a bunch of those pay-per-views and probably binge them over the holidays because i'm so excited i watched is nwa power with three r's is that still going (laughs) no but uh they're allowing Uh, they're allowing some of their talent to go elsewhere as you've seen on on uh dynamite right they have some few talents there they've been doing they've been doing some uh indie stuff with some other promotion i can't I remember what it was, but they're airing stuff there too. Some matches are going on there. So they're still sort of doing stuff in the background, but no, Power hasn't come back. That's too bad. I, I really liked Power. I'm a big fan of that. I, I, I kind of like you. I like to see everything. I think WWE uh, has the big, like the really slick presentation. AEW reminds me of these classic packed arenas, like, yes. the, like the Attitude Era. Um, and then NWA Power really had like an 80s style feel going on from everything from the set to the commentary to the characters. Yeah, like I, I, I just loved everything about it. I hope that I hope they survive this. Hope they come back. But I'm glad that the wrestlers, that the talent are still getting opportunities to work. No, exactly. So now what's your favorite wrestling video game? So uh, I didn't play games like No Mercy or WrestleMania 2000 okay. because I wasn't into wrestling at the time, right. even though I had an N64. Makes sense. Um, my favorite for a long time was uh, SmackDown Here Comes the Pain. That was a good one, yes. That was, it was like, it was the first time, like, again, since I'm a technical guy, I played, I played Just Bring It. I think that was the first one I played. Right. And then uh, Shut Your Mouth, which, mm. and those were really fun. They were arcadey. Like, I love doing, like, jumping, doing the five-star frog splash off the SmackDown fist uh, <laughs> into a guy on a table like sure. the table that was cool but i was like you know i i wonder why as ray mysterio i can pick up the big show i, I want like a more realistic game right. here comes the pain did that they added the weight system they yes. added the new submission system they added Loved the it. damage system yeah i was like this is a game for me and then i think that that one is more nostalgia for me i think i think the better game was smackdown versus raw 2006 because that's oh. the one i feel like that was like two games later right and it really, really improved on on what Here Comes the Pain started. And it was also, uh, no, it wasn't the last game to feature Kurt Angle, who was one of my favorites at the time, but uh, I think that was SVR 2007. But I just, I don't know, 2006 had a great roster. Although I think in terms of roster, it might be um, WWE 2K19 or Here Comes the Pain for me. You just had so many legends and veterans in there. Well, yeah, to me, I can't really pinpoint anything. The only one that really stands out was the Super Nintendo Royal Rumble game. It's basic. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, but that was the first time where they introduced finishers in a wrestling game. 
Because before oh, that, they really didn't have it. They might have had it on like the generic ones, but like I, as far as I could go back, the Nintendo versions of them, maybe they had like little things here and there. But this is where it actually looked real, look arcadey. Like it almost looked like the WrestleFest that you would see in the arcades and stuff like that, right? Yeah. For and sure, well, for speaking sure. of WrestleFest, I can't wait for WrestleMania Wrestling to come out. That's they announced a, a release date and everything. That's, That's what cool. I'm really looking forward to right now. That's cool. I'm also yeah. I'm excited for all of uh, AEW's games. I think they had something. They said they had something too. like four or five in development. So I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of those. Well, yeah. Speaking of No Mercy, that I I never played that as well, and that's one of the most revered games either known in N64. So to me, I bypassed all that stuff. So yeah. they have the makers of the original No Mercy game doing the AEW game. So we'll that's see. That's what I hear. Um, I, the only thing. So when I went back and played No Mercy and WrestleMania 2000. The one thing I didn't like about those games was that, like, 20 seconds into a match, and you're on the floor selling okay. for, like, 30 seconds. It yeah. just seemed to move a little too slow to me. Putting <laughs> there mashing yeah. buttons. I'm like, come on, man. It, it's just a clothesline on the outside. It's right. not that bad. It's not like a chair shot followed by a finisher and another chair shot. So I, I hope that the, the pace of, the, of this new AEW game... Is I don't want arcadey, but I want something yes. simulation. But I also don't want to be selling on the floor for three minutes after like ten seconds into the match. Yeah, that's so true because it's so hard because they've tried everything. They've tried actual like a pure fighting game with wrestling. Now with the arcadey yeah. one with the battle battlegrounds, I think it's called. They tried doing yeah. that to to the two K series where it went way too much simulation. So it's hard yes. to find that middle ground with a wrestling game, right? Yeah, it's also like. 2K, man. I'm glad they took this year off because they need to yeah. get their shit together. Uh, not only because WW2K20 was a mess, but because things like, okay, I get hit with one finisher, so my body damage is like yellow, right? Sure. And they go for a pin, but it's that like golf mini game where you're trying to stop the cursor in the middle of a really small sliver of yes. color. And I'm like, I got hit with one finisher a minute in. And I can't kick out because I can't get this timing down. I this know. sucks. Like, they just Stupid. need to fix that sort of system. Yeah, you know? no kidding. Perfect. Well, you ready for the weird story of the week, my friend? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, so do you have any, like, food fetishes, anything that you would love to eat all the time that you're just like, man, if I could eat this forever, I'd eat it all the time? Uh, pizza and shrimp. Maybe not together, <laughs> but... Actually, yeah. you never know. Some grilled uh, shrimp on a pizza? Uh, is it good? I've never tried it personally because I'm picky I with think, pizza, I think but. I'm, I'm okay. I might try that now. That sounds good. I don't know. What about you? Uh, you know what? It's pizza and being Canadian, poutine. I love poutine. Okay. Oh, it's so oh, yeah, good. It's yeah. <laughs> okay, well, this week's story comes from Massachusetts. There was a 50 year old man who was eating fast food at a, obviously, a fast food joint. And apparently, poor guy just dropped dead. While in the middle of eating, like, I guess, a burger and some fries, he had a heart attack, which was brought on by an overdose. Now, in a million years, what would you guess this man overdosed on? Probably sodium. <laughs> Good guess. At least he didn't go the drug route. Most people would think that he probably came in all high off something and he just started eating and he, he overdosed, right? Yeah. yeah. No, not even close. This man overdosed... Because he ate copious amounts of black licorice. Really? Yes. Apparently, there's something in black licorice. Once our body digests it, it's high levels of acid. And then it does something else. And then starts shutting down stuff in your body. And you just have a heart attack. And you drop dead. 
I am lucky that that was, so was the black licorice in the food or was he also binging on like black licorice? No, apparently according to the article, it said that he didn't have a good diet to begin with, but he had no signs of heart disease, no nothing, anything. It was just that there's something in the licorice and he ate like, apparently he used to love soft candy and soft type of treats and stuff like that. And then he transitioned into black licorice. First off, I don't know why anyone would eat black licorice to begin with because it tastes yeah. horrible. I don't like that. Uh, I don't uh, like my candy tasting like medicine, so to speak. No, man. Right? Exactly. So yeah. for this man to be eating this much of black licorice and then just dropping dead like this, like, isn't that crazy? That is nuts. And I'm, I'm a, I eat a little too, fast, too much fast food myself. Not as much during the pandemic, but man... Like, I'm glad you weren't going to say, like, oh, you overdosed on Taco Bell, because I would be I would be in mortal danger. I don't know that I could ever say goodbye to Taco Bell. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. I can completely, like, oh, black licorice? No problem. Don't eat it. Don't plan to eat it. Won't ever eat it. I'm good. Well, here's the, the weird story. It's not only the first incident of someone almost or dying of black licorice. An other man in his 80s used to drink, now check this out, black licorice tea three times a day. And he went into cardiac arrest, but they brought him back and he ended up surviving. Again, at 80, I don't know how he ended up surviving, but you know what I mean? Wow. So, just some, so again, now here's my question. Why are we still selling black licorice? Yeah, this is, this is are, these, are both these stories recent? Within at least like a six to five month period, yes. Yeah, I feel like there needs to be more investigations into this because that is like, especially as a kid, right? Like kids have terrible taste. They're eating all the candy they get to the hand. It makes you wonder, like, what else is in all these different candies we love to binge on that could be, like, this ticking time bomb, you know? It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's no kidding. Well, before I let you plug your shit, I'm going to blow your mind because you just said you're a Taco Bell fan. Now, I don't know if you've ever been up here to the Great White North, to Canada. Have you? I have. I was in Montreal just a year ago uh, to interview people about a story. Oh, perfect. Actually. Have you visited yeah. our version of Taco Bell? I have not. What is this? Okay, well, you're t- well, it's still Taco Bell. It's called Taco Bell. Don't worry. It's nothing okay, different. Okay, but okay. we saw something called a Fry Supreme. Do you want to know what's in a Fry Supreme? Yes, I do. So it's a bed of French fries, then a scoop of the ground meat that they put in the taco, then a scoop of tomatoes, diced tomatoes, sprinkled with some chives, and another spoonful of um, sour cream, wait for it, topped with cheddar cream cheese. Holy shit. That sounds... <laughs> is that is it like poutine? It's. I guess it's a Mexican version of poutine, if you'd have to say it. But there's no like gravy Man. or anything, right? That sounds amazing. That sounds fantastic. I will come back to Canada just for that. And believe I've been wanting to get the hell out of America for a little while. <laughs> yeah, man, that sounds that sounds fantastic. Well, once the border's open for leisure crossing and you're more than welcome to come, now you know you got to check out the Taco Bowl and get the Fry Supreme. Yes, okay, I'm definitely going to try. I'm going to look it up when we're done here, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my mouth is literally almost watering right now. That sounds amazing. Well, you know what? You could technically make it yourself. You could just get, like, a taco, just empty out the shell and do it, like, you know what I mean? Do it that way. But, eh, but then That's you have... That's true. Right? Now, you know what? Instead of making things myself, I will drive to Canada and try Perfect. this down. i got to have an adventure out of it, right? Perfect. Well, thanks, David, for coming on the show. Now's your time to shine. Plug your shit where people can find you. Any upcoming projects or anything you, you want to sell, go for it, my friend. 
Well, first of all, Steve, thank you very much for having me on. It was my pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Uh, as far as where to find me, check me out on Twitter at David L. Craddock. That's C-R-A-D-D-O-C-K. Um, right now, like I said, my pin tweet is Bet on Black, How Microsoft and Xbox Changed Pop Culture Part 1 at shacknews.com, where I've published uh, – close to a dozen long reads now i believe you can read about uh, deep dives in the making of games from the uh, crystal dynamics tomb raider origin story nice. to doom 64 to everquest to uh the infinity engine rpgs like Baldur's gate and planescape torment um if you check out my website davidelcraddock.com you'll get links to my books uh, such as stay a while and listen book one and two uh, where you, if you want to read about the history of Blizzard and their games like Warcraft, Diablo, Starcraft, etc., that's there. If you're into fiction, I published uh, my third young adult novel this year called nice. The Dumpster Club, which you can find on Amazon. I've also published two uh, fantasy novels in a trilogy. Uh, the trilogy is called The Garden Chronicles. The first book is Heritage. The second book is Point of Fate. So, yeah, like I said, just go to my website, davidlcraddock.com, or follow me on Twitter at davidlcraddock, and you can find links to all that stuff right there. Perfect. And for myself, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram under Finga Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast DAP. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast DAP at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, it helps me out. And if you want to support me directly, I have a merchandise store at tpublic.com. Scroll down on today's device you're listening to on. It's embedded right there in today's description. Click on that link. It takes you right to the merchandise store. I sell everything from T-shirts to hoodies to travel mugs, to phone cases, to COVID masks. Anything you need or want, it is there on the website. And again, please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. One last question. I'm going to put you on the spot now, David. You ready? All right. All right. I'm ready. What is your favorite, other than yours, boss fight book? Uh, it's either it's NBA Jam. Nice. Um, or I just read it. I read an early copy, uh, Resident Evil. Or you know what? No. Oh, oh. Okay, wait. I'm doing a top three. <laughs> Go for it. Sure. You In can no choose. particular order. Okay. This is hard. Uh, Resident <laughs> Evil, NBA Jam, and Legend of Zelda Majora's Match, which which Gabe wrote, and he let yes. me read it like a year ago. So wow. I've been like waiting to talk to people about this book because I thought it was fantastic. So those are my top three. In no particular order. And that's perfect, because you can find all three of those authors on previous episodes of the podcast. So go back and listen to them and to their story and to the book. And on that note, he's David. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.